Good morning. Have you ever begged God for anything? If you, if you have, would you raise your hand? Wait a minute. Some people beg sounds maybe too crude. Have you ever asked God for anything? That's more like it. Well, have you ever sometimes asked maybe just to say, um, God, give me grace? You ever asked for that? That's good. Uh, have you ever asked, God, give me faith? You've asked. Did you receive? All right. Do you believe that all scripture is inspired? Mm -hmm. Do you believe that all scripture is profitable for teaching? Ah, uh, yes. Do you believe that it is all good to be used for correcting error? Uh-huh. Do you believe that it's good for training in righteousness? What about this? Do you believe that all scripture is not only good for training in righteousness, but that it is so that the man of God might be adequately equipped for all kinds of things? These are interesting times in which we live. Interesting times in which we live. I heard recently that there was a very popular wrestler who, was, who, was, who died, killed himself, it is alleged, and his immediate family. I understand that there was a car bomb threat in London uh, recently. There was a cold-blooded murder in uh, Nassau Village recently. There was a hit and run, homicide, right here in New Providence. I say again that these are interesting times in which we live. Pause with me as we pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We believe indeed that it is inspired that it is potent, that it can meet every need that we might encounter. Sometimes our circumstances that we experience in our lives sometimes contribute to our forgetfulness of who we are and whose we are. I pray this morning that May it be that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our collective hearts as guided by your Holy Spirit be a constant reminder that you are indeed omnipotent, that you are indeed trustworthy, that you are just, and that you are altogether lovely. This is our prayer today, in your son's precious name, amen. The other day, I was minding my own business like I usually do, and I was walking through the garden of scripture, and I, I met a man whose mother called him Simon. Jesus, using Aramaic, called him Cephas, 
In Greek, that's Petros. In English, we call him Peter, meaning rock or stone. Sometimes you might, I suppose this is where I think a modern-day wrestler get his name from Cold Stone Austin. Mm-mm, that came from Peter. It really, the original name was Stone Cold Simon. I want us today to think about this based on what I said earlier with regards to this is interesting times in which we live. I want to ask you whether or not you are familiar with what I call the 12 potential disciples of discouragement. But just so that I can make sure I'm not addressing the wrong audience. Have you ever been discouraged at any point in your life? Put your hand up before I can see it and put it down. Thank you. Let me just quickly ask you maybe to see whether or not you've met some of these persons. Maybe some of them live with you from some, well, at some point or another. What about sadness? Have you ever played the game with sadness? Have you ever laughed with devastation? Have you ever had a discussion with severe illness? Have you ever woke up one morning with rejection? What about hopelessness? Have you ever danced with hopelessness? Have you ever been touched by injustice? Have you ever ate with being misunderstood? Have you ever went for a walk with disappointment? Have you ever been kissed by abuse? Have you ever been hugged by pessimism? Have you ever slept with persecution? Have you ever sat with death? If you can relate to any one of these potential disciples of discouragement, then I believe that our brother Peter has an encouraging word for us today. Would you then please take your Bibles with you that you have and turn with me to the first letter of Peter. You may find it in your Bible under the heading Cephas chapter 1. I will read the first 12 verses. First Peter chapter 1. And while you're looking for that, this is assumed to have been written somewhere around 80, 62 to 64. Written by Peter, of course, from a place he calls Babylon. Whether that's the literal Babylon on the Euphrates River or whether that's the spiritual Babylon, maybe the code name among Christians for Rome. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. I read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, 
and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, that you may obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. That the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. End of quote. The last time I was in prison, I was not fed. My movements were restricted to certain areas. There was always an officer present and I was not interrogated or beaten during the one-hour visit that I was there. However, I'm told that Christians in Muslim and Marxist countries are so used to repression, hostility, and even persecution that they almost come to expect it. Most Christians in the Western Hemisphere but all of their freedoms and their great biblical heritage have not yet adjusted to public opposition to their faith. I don't know about you, even though I may occasionally scan our local print media or listen to our electronic media, media but I don't remember hearing very recently, maybe you can answer this for me, when was the last time? Did you hear in the Bahamas that someone was imprisoned 
for their faith. When was the last time a Christian was tortured here in the Bahamas for their faith? When was the last time a Christian experienced direct injustice simply because of their faith? When was the last time their personal property was confiscated or confiscated because of their faith? When was the last time there was a planned attempt to publicly scorn you simply because you are a Christian? When was the last time you died because of your faith? Or when was the last time you know someone who died because of their faith? I believe that the sooner we learn the lessons taught by this fisherman from Galilee, the more prepared we will be to handle the increased opposition to our faith. And brothers and sisters, I sincerely believe that we will experience increased opposition to our faith as Christians. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and the, I'm reading, looking at verse 1 here, as we see his apostolic authority, formerly a career fisherman from Galilee, Peter got the divine touch on his shoulder one day, and now he is a fisher of men, delivering to mankind the transforming and glorious message of Jesus Christ. And so if you are here today as a Christian, you too have been given that divine tap on the shoulder to carry this transforming message of Jesus Christ to wherever God has placed you, whether that's at home or whether that's in the workplace, in schools, not to say that schools is not a working place, whether you are on the beach or in the air, wherever God has placed you, you have been given that divine tap to carry this transforming message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter calls his intended audience aliens. Now, them is fighting words in some quarters. Call somebody an alien. Peter called his audience aliens, aliens, pilgrims, sojourners, foreigners, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. This is an Asia minor, a part of the world we call today Turkey. My brothers and sisters, I'd like to remind you this morning that this world is not your home. This world is not your home. You and I, as children of God, are aliens here. We are foreign nationals, temporary residents in a pagan world. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Aliens. Peter further tells us that we are chosen, elect. Have you ever been on a play field and they were selecting a team? And two persons, captains, or whatever you call them, 
started to pick persons to be on their team. Sister Betty, you remember that dancing team you were? She already started saying yes, but when I said dancing, she switched. That can do damage to your neck. Okay, so she's only saying that because she promised to dance with me and she never showed up. But if you were on the field and they were selecting persons to be on the team and you're wondering whether or not you were going to be picked, were you ever picked to last? The last person picked? You only were at it because you wanted to make up the number? Um, none of you are like that. You are all stars. Would it be nice to know that God has selected you? Would that make you feel good? It does for me. God has chosen you. Listen to what Peter says again. Peter calls us the chosen, the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. This means that in a past eternity, God chose us to belong to himself. Isn't that good news? I picked the team and God said, you are my team. I like that. What about you? God selected you to be on his team. This includes all those who have recognized that they were lost. They needed a Savior and accepted Jesus Christ by faith alone as their Lord and Savior. Now, if you are here today and have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the good news is it is not too late. Today is the best day to become part of that elect group, the chosen ones. Hebrews 3 and 15 says, Today, if you hear his voice, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Cephas continues by saying this, that you and I, not only are we called aliens and that we have been chosen by the foreknowledge of God, but that by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. This includes all of the work of the Spirit. Some include certainly conviction, regeneration, the indwelling, and the baptizing of Christians into the body of of Christ. Wow. All of this has taken place. You've been convicted by the Holy Spirit that you are indeed a sinner, that you are what God says you are before you met him. Not only that, that you have been regenerated, you've been born again. Now you have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit and you have been baptized and placed in the body of Christ. I think that's good news. I like that. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 says, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you. How long ago was that? From the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. The object or the goal of the sanctifying work of the Spirit is that you may obey Jesus Christ. Repent and be sprinkled with his blood. As soon as a person obeys the gospel, he receives all the benefits. Redemption, forgiveness, new citizenship, new family, new hope, which flows from the shedding of Christ's precious blood on Calvary approximately 2,000 years ago. Notice how Peter has thus laid the theological foundation for this letter, I think, that is oozing with encouragement. God the Father and his grace has chosen you and me. 
God the Spirit has sanctified us. God the Son has attuned us for us by his shedding of his blood. Do you recognize what it is we have? Do you recognize who we are? Do you recognize the extent to which God has gone so that we can be who we are in Christ Jesus? Peter, recognizing this and setting this basis for us, now wishes that grace and peace might be multiplied to his audience, to them, by extension to us. This grace, salvation certainly. And then, as you've said earlier, that you sometimes do ask God in certain situations, God, give me grace. Because you need this daily dosage. For some things you meet, you say, Lord, give me grace. I need your grace for this moment. That is what Peter is asking for. But not only that, that God might also give us his peace. Certainly that's peace with God. But also to be able to say that I do have and are experiencing God's peace in a turbulent society. Maybe it's not that far away. Maybe it's because of an illness that you are personally experiencing or a member of your immediate family. Or maybe it's just a relational issue and you're asking, you need God's abiding peace. He then eloquently articulates the believer's position and he begins by praising the author of our salvation. And these are what the words said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now don't read that too fast. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever asked God to bless you? Yeah, say yeah. I know you've said it. Yeah. You've ever asked God to bless? Have you ever, let me reverse that. Have you ever blessed God? Let me return it the other way. How has God blessed you and me? By coughing? Yes. Um, we certainly have life. You say, God has blessed me with life. He has blessed you with family. Yes. Some people even have food. Could you believe that? And they say, thank you. God has blessed me with food or gifts or the ability to be in a place so that I can earn a living so that I can buy the food. Some people in here are even wearing clothes. God has blessed you with clothing. God has certainly blessed you in more ways than you can count. If you really count accurately. How have we blessed God? Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can we bless him? I believe that we can bless him when we speak well of him. When we look at what he has created and we tell him, this is good God, you are good, you are awesome. You are wonderful. I believe we can do that when we model grace, when we reflect the grace that we have received, when we model that in our interaction. I believe that that is most clearly evident or, or demonstrated when we are in a difficult situation and we still say something good about God. We still have our chins up. We still have something good to say. 
But as I said earlier, sometimes our circumstances sometimes to blind, I suppose, blind or side us so that we forget who we are and whose we are. And then we become despondent. But Peter won't allow that to happen here. He's setting the basis where he says, you have a reason to be encouraged. Whatever you are going through, whatever you are now experiencing. So he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now not only blessed be the God, the God of who? Jesus Christ. God saying, reflecting the humanity of Jesus Christ, but also the Father, and that's showing the divinity of Jesus Christ and our Lord. That's Jesus. This is the one, our Lord, the one who has exclusive rights to rule in our hearts and in our lives. Jesus, the one who saves, Savior, the one who saves us from our sins, the Christ, the Messiah the anointed one. I think we're in good company. Don't you? It is by God's abundant mercy that we have been saved. It is only by his mercy. It is only by his mercy that we can say that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God then is the source of our salvation. His great mercy is its cause. The new birth is the nature of it, and the living hope is its present reward. My brothers and sisters, how can you be discouraged when you reflect and think about all that God has done for you and is continuing to do for you? But just in case you haven't got it yet, let's read on. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the righteous basis of our salvation as well as the foundation of our living hope. As members of the first creation in Adam, we were under the sentence of death with no hope beyond the grave except for the certain judgment and the fiery indignation. But then came the redemptive work of Christ in which God found a righteous basis upon which to save the ungodly and still be just. Full satisfaction has been paid. The claims of justice have been met. And mercy can flow out to those who accept Christ alone, by faith alone. Again, I remind you, my brothers and sisters, that the resurrection is the Father's Amen to the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary when he says, it is finished. Imagine that scenario. Jesus said, it is finished. And the Father answered by the resurrection by saying, amen. That's good news. This is our hope. This is our living hope. The expectation of being taken home to heaven to be with Christ. And not only to be with him, but to be like him forever. My brothers and sisters, I am encouraged by who God is. I am encouraged by who God is. I am encouraged by what he has done for us, where he has placed us, and what he has reserved for us. Listen again to what the fisherman says in verse 4 and 5. It says that we have an inheritance. I'm thinking here, my daddy left me with an inheritance of six feet, six inches. 
of height. Uh-huh. Now, some of you have more, some other stuff, all right? But that's about it. Um, there is a, a yard. It's a rainy season now, so there's some crab running there on Andrash. But that inheritance, compared to what we have from God, oh, it's almost non-existent. Listen to what you have, in case you don't know what you have, according to verse 4 and 5. First of all, let me say again, you and I have an inheritance. Listen to what it says. It is imperishable. Mm-hmm. You have any other kind of thing your good uncle left you, granddaddy, that is imperishable, that can never corrode or crack, decay, that is immune to hostility or hostile forces? This imperishable inheritance, I say, is death proof. It is also undefiled, perfect condition, no tarnish, no stain, no impurities. It is sin-proofed. That's your inheritance. It, is all, it says it will not fade away. No variation in value over time. No fading glory. No fading in beauty. Your inheritance is time-proof. Time has no effect on it. Something else. It is reserved in heaven for you. You are being protected by God for your reserved inheritance. Think about what God has for you. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved for you where your home is, your true home. Bahamas in your home. And if you're from someplace else, north or south, east or west, this is not your home. Bible says that heaven is your home. And you know what? Wherever God hangs out, I'm comfortable. You know, heaven is your home. You have this inheritance undefiled. It is imperishable, will not fade away, reserved in heaven. And guess what? Not only I've been told, because I inherit nothing, but um, some people leave something for their children, maybe they're minor, for when they get to a certain age, so that they can then have full access to what is to be inherited. Isn't that true? I read that one somewhere. Is it possible that for the child not to grow up, to, not to live, to be able to, at a certain age, to have access to his or her inheritance? Is it possible? Yes. And the person who is leaving the inheritance really has no influence on whether or not this person lived to be the age or not. All they're saying is when you reach a certain age, you can go and all of what I left for you, you will have access to it. Well, when it comes to this eternal inheritance, God has it reserved for us, and he has backed it up by protecting, ensuring that you and I are protected and reserved, preserved, so that we can inherit our inheritance. Isn't that double security? 
I call that triple security because it God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all of them are involved. I like that. I don't have to worry about the circumstances that I am in because of what, where my inheritance is. No thief can come in and thief my inheritance. No, this is, is reserved for me in heaven. In this you greatly rejoice. I think that Peter's right. Just thinking about that will cause some people who could rejoice, rejoice. In this you greatly rejoice, in verse 6 it says, even though, and this is still even though, for a little while compared to eternity, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed. Now some people use the word Lucy now and say, I saw stress, oh child. And, and they seem to glory in stress like that. You know, child, I saw stress, leave me alone. Mind you, stress is good. You know, um, certain stress, certain times. You have been distressed by various trials. And when I said at the beginning about these discouragements, some of these things from time to time will discourage you if you allow them to do If you forget who you are, whose you are. And I just want you to refocus. Refocus. Sometimes you feel like, God, where are you? How could I be experiencing it? And then the neighbor right there, he don't even go to church. Or she don't. And here I am suffering. Could you think back about, think about Calvary. Was, was, was that a suffering scenario for our Savior? If you only look on the surface of Calvary, you say, God, couldn't you find a better way to, to do this? And then you, you, you'll choke if you get any sense. Because you'll say, wait a minute, I'm questioning him on this because really God knows best. He is sovereign. Because it must be, as I said earlier, he must maintain Justice has to be done, and yet there's this other side of him, is mercy. I, I don't know the song, but I, it's some, I, I, so I may mess it up. I'm not definitely going to sing it, and you all know I don't sing with light on. So I'm not even going to try that. But, but it has something to the fact that when these things come in your life, wherever they come, wouldn't it be nice to know that as they, these circumstances come knocking on your door of your life? That there be God's grace and his mercy going to open the door. You know, grace open and mercy says, uh-uh, can't touch this. I'd like just, just the thought of that. Because you have been preserved and protected by God himself. That is absolutely wonderful news. And that's ours to, to, uh, to cherish. Let, let's, let's go on. It's okay now, I think, for us to encounter these various trials and to see them through the eyes that have been illuminated by our living hope. And these trials are only opportunities for us to strengthen our faith and thereby to bless God. You said earlier that you sometimes ask God, God give me faith. How strong is your faith that you currently have? Do you believe that your faith is only strengthened when your faith is tested? Now, I know you can't tell because your eyes deceive you. But do you think eyes lift barbells? Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> when you are placed in an environment where your faith can be exercised, that's the point when you start completing and telling God, move that. Too much problem. 
so much stress. Those people who come and those 12 disciples who move into your life. Bibles use the analogy here in Peter as if gold being tested as by fire. So likewise your faith is being tested as if through these trials. And remember, these are only temporary trials. Again, if you think this is not your home, you are an alien, then you can, then it changes your perspective on things. Then I will go through this. And even if you don't go through it, remember someone once said that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you remember that in the midst of your various circumstances? Can you then bless God in those circumstances? My brothers and sisters, if you recognize that, I think it will change everything. You will certainly upset the devil because how could you... Do you remember those three Hebrew boys who got thrown into their fiery... There were some trials. They were handcuffed, bound, and thrown into, their, into the furnace. And what did the fiery trials do? The fire really set them free. You know, that's cool. But who could do that? God. And so sometimes my question is this. What is it that we now have in our lives that we are bound to that will only become loose when we are placed into a fiery trial? But we kicking and screaming and say, God, I want a lot of faith. I want to have strong faith. But I, I don't do sadness and disappointment and rejection and illness. I don't do that. Now, there are other... Let me ask, because I've been told about this. So I never visit inside. Is there a place called... Where people go to lose weight? Called um, Slender You and Skinny Me? Well, well I would never go in that place called Slender You. You know, unless they use me as a model. <laughs> but I don't know if they, I've been told that they have machines in there. And the machines work and all you said, I know how that works. In other words, how do you do exercise? You need, I'm saying here that you need to be put in a position where you exercise so those muscles that, muscles, that's what they call them, that God gave you can be exercised so that they can say that's what they're supposed to do. And when they stretch beyond what you normally do, then it has that capacity to go beyond it. And then it tends to, to bulk up. That's why I say you people are blind. You know, you, you have little faith. But let's move quickly and see what Peter says here. I think it was Howard Hendricks who said once that no one minds losing a few checkers if he knows he's headed for king territory in the game of checkers. And now, some people are master at it. You see them eating one man, and then some people go bop, 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 all over the board. And then people say, oh, boy, you can play. But some people looking for anybody and eating, then it's being tight right here. They won't give up nobody. But that's how sometimes we live as Christians. We ain't giving nothing here. Don't give it. And then you find out you get wiped out. You know, because the other person, I don't mind losing something here, something here, because I can know. Do you know you already won as Christian? And you played the game of this life. You already won because it was played by our Lord Jesus Christ, and he won. This, we already won. So in the game of checkers, as Hendrick says, it's okay if I lose a few pieces along the way. It's okay if I encounter some illnesses, some disappointment along the way. 
I'm an alien here. You and I are aliens here. But remember, we are the chosen by the foreknowledge of God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and been sprinkled, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, I remind you and encourage you that regardless to what you have just gone through or what you are currently going through or what you will be going through tomorrow or next week, next month, next year, whatever it is, you and I are headed for king territory. So let me encourage you with these words. And then and only then can you greatly rejoice and have joy that is indeed inexpressible and full of glory. Some people may call you stupid, crazy, may try to give you a free ride up to Foxhill Road at that pink building, but that's okay. You have joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. And as you have been encouraged by Peter today, let me, I ask you, I hope that you commit yourself to be an encouragement to someone else. You may not realize it, but you are always in a position to either encourage someone or to discourage someone by the words you say or your actions that you perform in their presence. And so I say to you that your words will either hurt or they will help. They can open a door to someone who is discouraged or it can be a case where the doors are slammed in their face. I encourage you to be the one that will open a door of encouragement by your actions and your words. I hope that you have been inspired or that you know that your Resume is indeed inspired as outlined by the Galilean fishermen and ordered by the triune God to be a constant source of encouragement regardless, regardless to the circumstances because, where you, because of where you find yourself. Because, and the reason why you should be inspired and, and be so upbeat and encouraged is because of what the scriptures just told us. You are aliens here with a citizenship in heaven. You are chosen by the foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, bought and washed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and you have been the recipient of abundant grace and peace. You have been born again by God's great mercy. You are the recipient of a living hope versus those who only have a dead hope. They have an inheritance that is undefiled, is imperishable, it is fadeless, and it is reserved for you in heaven. You have been protected by God, and you have an opportunity for your faith to grow. Salvation is ours. Joy that is so inexpressible and full of glory that even the prophets and the angels are amazed of how it works, and they are desirous of looking into it. The question is, are you so aware of what you have and does it amaze you of how much God has done for you to the point that you can say I have this joy that I can hardly contain or certainly unable to express but then one day and you need to be practicing it now through the circumstances where God can be blessed by it just like the gold, and people relish that, but your faith is more precious than gold. And it goes through these trials so that God can say, that's my boy, that's my girl, in the midst of your circumstances. 
The question is, angels are impressed. They don't understand how you can have suffering and glory all at the same time. That's why Calvary confuses them. How can Jesus suffer so greatly? And yet, as I said earlier, if you look back, then you see the glory. If that didn't take place, then we wouldn't be able to enjoy what we are enjoying today in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But God in his sovereignty and his wisdom combines suffering, and then through that, we can glorify him in the midst of that. And Christ is our example. Perfect. Suffered tremendously. We are imperfect. And we want to suffer. May I ask you, based on scripture, nothing happens to you unless God approves it. Nothing happens to you unless God step aside and let it happen. And if you let it happen, there's a purpose for it. And whatever it is, praise him. Bless him for whatever it is. The challenge is, will you do that today? I trust that you will. Because I'm based on God's word, I'm sure that you will be blessed and God will be praised. And please, let us pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for its power, its potency. Thank you for encouraging us today. In the midst of changing times, we thank you for the stability of your word. We thank you for this encouragement from our brother Peter, as directed by your Holy Spirit. May we so live our lives that we can, on an ongoing, consistent basis, bless you, regardless of what we've gone through, regardless of where we are today and what we are currently experiencing, or what we will face tomorrow. We want to bless you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.